One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome back to another edition of the Work-Life Balance this Friday afternoon. So excited to have you guys along. Uh, I'm coming off a, a, a pretty incredible week. It's probably one of the best weeks I've had uh, in quite some time for many reasons. We're going to be talking through that on uh, today's show. Uh, but I uh, want to thank you guys uh, for coming along. Also, uh, you know, a thank you again to, to Dr. Ivan Meisner, uh, who was on the show last week. I'm getting a ton of, of good feedback from that show. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, you can always go to the Work-Life Balance on the voiceamerica.com page uh, and listen to uh, past episodes. You can also uh, uh, have the uh, podcast uh, uh, streamed wherever you get your podcast. So um, we're out and about and everywhere. But uh, that Dr. Ivan Meisner show was was pretty incredible. A lot of fun and uh, very thankful to him uh, for spending an hour with us. He's a very, very busy man. Um, so we were excited to have them. So getting into uh, this week's show, I just came back from Berlin, Ohio, um, which is about an hour and a half uh, south and slightly west of Cleveland um, and in the middle of Amish country, believe it or not. Uh, and so I went out there to work with a group uh, called Global Priority Solutions. We call them uh, GPS. And uh, Global Priority Solutions is uh, a partner to the John Maxwell team uh, in country transformations. So uh, when we did uh, Costa Rica, and I had all those shows about Costa Rica and doing the roundtable experience, um, this is the organization that actually certifies me to be able to not only facilitate, but train other facilitators uh, in in pushing roundtables through organizations. So I, I... have talked about an initiative. I haven't really mentioned it on the show, but we officially announced and formed uh, Transform Birmingham, which is here uh, where I live in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, we're working on organizing the the seven streams of influence around uh, uh, the city and to start to see and the concept in theory is pretty simple. When we talk about transformation of a nation or we start talking about transformation of a city, um, it's the thought pattern is, is if we can get 10% of the country or the city, um, depending on what, which one we're doing, if we can get 10% of the, the population discussing values in the art of roundtables, we feel that we can make a, a not only economical, but a, a social impact and social movement um, for transformational change in that city. And so where all this started for me was – uh, when I came back from Costa Rica, you know, Costa Rica was just incredible. Uh, we trained, uh, I believe it was 18,000 or 20,000 uh, facilitators inside of three days. It was pretty, it was a pretty incredible uh, week. And uh, the, literally the day or two after uh, I got back from Costa Rica, there was two significant events. Number one, I had a client that uh, was really struggling with their culture, really struggling with getting their teamwork down. And so I suggested disk profiles uh, so that we could start to build a communication platform. And uh, the guy that I was talking to was like, sure, yeah, no, that sounds great. Uh, so we did it. I, I got a bunch of disk codes. We released it to the, the target audience that we wanted to do it. And somebody ran to HR and blocked it, saying that they, they, didn't, they didn't think this was necessary and they didn't want to do it and, and they don't trust 
essentially trust me with the information, um, which I found quite telling. Because if I if I look at the contrast between Costa Rica, where these people are inviting us in their homes, they were so hungry for transformation. They were so hungry uh, to discuss values and, and to start to make a transformational shift in the country. Uh, and then you compare that to coming back to people don't even know or want to know or want to participate in anything that may or may not reveal something of their personality. And that is, that is a huge thing in the United States is that uh, most of the leaders I talk to, if I talk to them about values or communication styles, they, fi- they figure, well, you know, I- I've gotten here already based on who I am. Why, why would I want to uh, look at anything or do anything like that? Like we're, we're afraid to find out that, that we may have a flaw. That, that we may have something that we could work on. And, and that's such an incredibly limiting belief and limiting flaw. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I can tell you in my own personal journey over the last you know, six years that I've really been investing in personal growth, um, I found out a ton about myself that, that I didn't like. But the, the first step was to find out I didn't like it. And then the second step was to uh, start to make improvements. And why I love the roundtable concept is that it's very, very small changes. So let me back up for a second. So that was that was one significant event. The second significant event that happened to me after Costa Rica was like two or three days after uh, I got back. There was an article published by USA Today that Birmingham, my city, uh, was like in, in the top 10 worst cities to live in. And they used a variety of factors in that. Um, but... Uh, that uh, that's untenable to me. It's it's the city that that I live in, the city that my kids are born and raised in, um, and it's it's something that I feel called or compelled uh, to participate in and help fix. So first, let's talk about uh, you know, how we go about it. So the first thing is we need buy-in from the top, which means uh, I need uh, I need to convince the mayor of Birmingham that this is the right move, and to get uh, his backing for it, get a letter from him, get him to endorse the program in and of itself. Um, And then you use that to align um, key leaders and key influencers in the seven streams of influence. And if you've not heard that before, the seven streams of influence are the church, family, education, government, media, the arts, and business. So those, those are all streams of influence that affect your community and affect our society. And so we can't just do the government and not the media. I uh, can't just do the media and not, not business, right? We, we have to have buy-in into a coalition from all seven streams of influence. And then what we do is we take them through a series of roundtables. So first, we'll talk about the process of a roundtable. What does it mean do, do a roundtable. Well, first of all, you want to limit it to about five to eight people. If you limit it to five to eight people, we're talking it takes 30 minutes a week. And what we do is we have a, a kind of a regimented um, program in which they go through, but the roundtable starts and stops in 30 minutes. And so essentially how you conduct one is is there's a principle. And so that, princi- that principle that uh, we're discussing that week uh, could be uh, attitude. And so we read uh, a paragraph from the principle, it describes attitude, describes the benefits uh, of the attitude, what people with great attitudes, you know, what they look like, 
Um, and while we're reading those paragraphs, we ask the participants to underline any kind of nugget of truth uh, that's relevant uh, or helpful to their current life situation. So once we finished reading the principle, and that takes you know about four minutes, uh, each person then shares what they underlined uh, and what it was about that phrase that made it stand out to them. And we ask them just to take uh, one that they've underlined and spend no more than a minute. So again, with say there's six people in the round table, that, that, that's six minutes it should take to go through that. So after everyone has shared what they underlined, then they take a few minutes to discuss the questions at the end of the principle. And so what we ask them to do is rank, um, you know, think about their day-to-day -day life in the last couple of weeks and rank um, how they feel uh, they attribute that value, how they feel um, that, that they represent that value. So we say, score yourself one to 10. And so let's say I give myself a four. So then the next is, you know, what benefits would I receive if I move, say, from a four to a six? What, what kind of benefits in my life would I see if, if I focused on that value? Um, the third question is, is who, who do you know that exemplifies this value and, and, and why did you select them? Why, wh what makes it look like them? And then finally, we ask them to choose a specific action step to work on in the coming week. And it has to be specific. And so I, I'm going to give you a real world example on attitude. And I shared this when I came back to Costa Rica, but some of you are, are new listeners. So if you've heard this before, I apologize. But when I was in Costa Rica, we have to, as facilitators have to model the behavior. We have to, to show the, the, the behavior and, and basically show people how, how to do it. So, um, you know, I was one to 10, I was bouncy, I was energetic and all this stuff. And when I got around to attitude, uh, and ranking myself, I gave myself a two. And that kind of shocked the people that I was training. And they were like, well, you, you seem to have a really good attitude. Why, do you, why did you give yourself a two? And I said, you know, right before I left for Costa Rica, my, my son uh, knocked on the door, came in my office, and, and uh, I snapped at him. Um, and uh, you could tell that, that I really hurt his feelings and that um, he, uh, you know, he kind of he, he was deflated and he, he left that room. Um, with his tail between his legs. And you know what? And I hadn't thought of that since until I was sitting down and thinking about the value of attitude. And I realized as I was thinking through the principle that I had made my son afraid to approach me in my office. And, and, and that's no good. That's, that, that's not something I'm looking to do. So I, I sat there in, in my action step. It said, you know, choose a specific action step. So they say, you know, sometime next week, uh, think of a day, think of a time and think of the person that you can do something in line with this, this principle in, in just one small thing. So the small thing I thought about was, you know, I really started to think through why I snapped when my son came into the office. And what it was is he knocks on the door really, really loud. And, and a lot of times when I'm in my office, I'm, I'm coding or I might be on the phone or whatever, but I'm generally pretty deep into thought and I hate to be startle scared. I just hate it. And so I, I figured, you know what, I think it's the knocking of the door that startles me. And then it's the backlash from being startled. The fact that I don't like that feeling was flowing on to my son. So I, uh, when I got home, I, I sat my son down and I explained that to him. And I said, why don't we try this? Why don't we try one small thing, which is instead of knocking on the door, just come in, just open the door nice and slow wait till, you know, I, I acknowledge you, I, I see you and, and we make eye contact. If I'm on the phone or I can't talk at the moment, I'll put my hand up. But it, it, if I can talk, um, then, we'll, we'll, you know, just talk, just tell me. 
So we put that principle into play and it's dramatically improved. My son comes into my office all the time, all the time. And he's not afraid to do so anymore. And that's dramatically improved our relationship. And that's what we mean by, you know, we weren't talking about this huge change or, you know, it's small steps and small things over time lead to great change. So in the round table, we ask people to think of something like that um, and, and write down a specific action step. And then the round table's over. It's 30 minutes, it's in, it's out, it's not deep. Um, and when you're speaking, you speak in terms of I statements. We don't say like we or us or, um, you know, when things like this happen. And we say, well, well, I get upset when this happens. This is what I feel like. It's I statements and not uh, we or us. And so the round table's over. So then when you come back, the next week, we're going to just choose a different principle. So in the next meeting, we take a few minutes to review the previous principle. And we, and we said, okay, so you said you were going to do this action. Did you do it? And you could say yes or no. It, you know, if you didn't do it, didn't have a chance, that's fine. It, it's not, you know, we're not dinging it. But if you did do it, um, then, you know, what was the result? And people share what happened or as the end result of, of their one small uh, activity or change that uh, or action step that they had made. And then we asked the question, so, so where do you feel on that now? And in, in the case of my son, I was at a two, and I felt like I had an eight, right? So there was significant improvement. Um, and so we mark that down, and then we do the next principle. We just go right into reading the principle, underlining, sharing what we underlined, answering um, our questions, um, discussing our, our questions, and then meeting adjourned. And that's the beauty of this program and the simplicity of this program is that um, is that it's just uh, it's that easy, and uh, it, it doesn't take long to, um, to to perform this, but it can have amazing amazing results. And so, uh, what we're going to do here uh, in a moment when we come back from break is I'm going to talk about some of the uh, where this has been done and kind of the numbers behind that. Uh, we'll also go through some of the applications. So we'll, we'll discuss some of the corporate issues that we run into and then which values we kind of hone in on uh, to, to help discuss that. And then uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap this whole thing up. So uh, that is what we're talking about uh, this week on the Work-Life Balance. We hope that you'll uh, hang around with us. We're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to this week's edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're discussing growth through roundtables. And uh, just announced the Transform Birmingham initiative uh, that I'm working on. But, uh, you know, really, any organization, any company, anywhere, uh, we we can do this. And it's, it's really, really um, phenomenal. I mean, think about uh, companies that state, uh, you know, that we're a values-based company. And so some of the questions I like to ask as I'm talking to a company is, you know, how much money did, did you invest in technology last year in, in new technology purchases? And, you know, um, obviously I don't want them to tell me the number. I just want them to think through it. And then I ask them to think through, well, how much money was spent on process, process improvement, methodologies, that kind of thing. Um, and the last thing I ask them to think through is, you know, how much money did you spend on training? And then what percentage of that training budget was used to develop the, the character and values of your team to make sure they align with the, the values the, of the organization. And I already know the answer. The answer is going to be like 0%. Like nobody does that. And, and, and quite frankly, it's people, then process, then technology. Every time. Like I can, I can invest in tons of technology. If I don't have the people to run it, then it doesn't matter. I can, I can uh, invest tons of money in process, but if people don't follow it, it doesn't matter. And, and what's interesting is look, look at what happened. Um, I was actually talking to a friend today and we were discussing this. Look, look at what happened at GE. And, I, you know, I was a GE guy. And, you know, Jack Welch used to be touted uh, for his management techniques and, you know, he's a genius and so on and so forth. And one of his principles was that the bottom 10% are, are going to get let go. I'm just, he basically just said, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with the bottom 10%. We're going to have performers here. So the bottom 10% gets fired and I turn them over. And, and that was a principle that was actually lauded. Like people are like, dude, you know, that, that's, you know, phenomenal. But, but look at, at, at the long-term effect of a policy like that. So what happened, if you, if you look into GE and look what, what's happening in the organization is they created a culture of fear, of fear of being that bottom 10%. And while we thought that was going to drive productivity, what it actually did was destroy trust. Because everybody wanted to make sure they got the credit that they deserve for the work that they were doing. So they weren't sharing credit. Everybody was stealing credit and it was destroying trust and was destroying the, the very lifeblood of the organization. You know, if your employees don't trust each other, how do you expect them to work and accomplish great things? And so values in the, the other quote I, I love um, it says, I think it's Earl Nightingale that said it, or I'm not sure who said it, to be honest, but I've heard it from Maxwell to say that, that values will, or a, a culture will eat vision for lunch, right? Culture will eat vision for lunch. And so culture are the values, are the values of your company. So you could have, you know, GE has great visions of, of continuing to innovate as they did in the past. Problem is they don't trust each other. They're not innovating, and, and it shows on the bottom line of the company. So they may have a, a vision to, to be collaborative, but they have a culture of fear. 
and culture is going to outweigh that vision unless there's something done. So the art of the round table, again, is, is quite simple, but let's talk about some of the major impacts. So, so, um, Again, overseas has has embraced it. I'll, I'll be quite honest too. The Latin culture has embraced this more than than anything that I've seen so far, and so it, it kind of started in Colombia with President Uribe, um, and it started with uh, prison and prison transformation. So they started with like eleven thousand five hundred prison guards, not even the prisoners, um, but they started with prison guards in in the prisons and the prison guards we're making such changes that it, that it moved to uh, 80,000 prisoners as well. Uh, and based on the success of what was happening in prison, they, they brought him in and, and said, look, we want you to do this with the military national police. So GPS and really LaRed, which is uh, uh, same GPS is, is for profit. LaRed was nonprofit, but they did 400,000 army, Navy, air force, and national police. 7,000 uh, intelligence employees. Uh, they did educational systems, business regions. And now it's, now it's something that's being discussed on TV that's, that's getting into to 40 million viewers, all talking about values. And, and we can start to see a significant shift of what's going on uh, in, in Colombia itself. Um, in Guatemala, it started with public defenders. They, they began with, with attorneys and, and really public defenders. And one of the Supreme Court justices said, you know, it, it's you've done fantastic work, but we, we need everybody. We like we need everybody talking about this. So it moved to 950 roundtables in the Supreme Court, 7,500 people in the Department of Justice. And they are all openly and weekly discussing values and, and which value they want to do. Um, that led to to uh, Mariano Galvez uh, making it mandatory that. 12,000 students per year go through a values-based course. And think about our young people, sixth grade, seventh grade. You know, where do they get this information? Right? They look at social media and they get influence from social media. And those, those aren't the values we, we want our children to have. And, you know, parents think that the, the schools are going to teach it. Schools think that parents are going to do it. Nobody's actively really going after it. And Guatemala saw that. And it's now a mandatory course that they teach their, their students. 12,000 students a year go through a values-based course. That moved to University of San Carlos, which was 12,000 professors in, in administration, and then eventually 123,000 students. Um, and again, what can happen to an organization when we're simply aligned and centered with, with the universal truths, the universal values? Things like uh, dependability, responsibility. Uh, a confrontation, understanding people, goals, planning. These are the types of values and principles that we're talking about. Um, and and we, they just got started in Mexico uh, under President Calderon. They did the police and federal prisons, state governors and their staff, and they've done 2,500 roundtables uh, in churches. And we can start to see there. And in the United States, look, the fourth largest police department's gone through them, South Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, Florida and Alabama prisons um, have a transformation initiative launched. Um, there's, you know, Youngstown, Thomasville, Modesto. There, I mean, we're getting cities uh, to 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 go after this, but um, but we're definitely uh, we're definitely leading that that charge. And so, let's talk about um, some results, though. Uh, if if you really start to think about uh, what it is that that we're doing. Um, there, there's some great uh, 
results that that we can point to. So, for instance, um, we had uh, uh, Don Yoder uh, was uh, CEO of Digital Dish. Uh, she also happens to be, in in, in full disclosure, the uh, the daughter to Jerry Anderson, who who owns these companies, but she was running Digital Dish, and essentially what they what they do is install, you know, dish networks and, and things of that sort, right? They're the ones that come out and, and install the the satellite dishes. Well, they had uh, when Don took over, um, they had a turnover rate of eighty percent of their employees, and so what they wanted to do. Uh, also, they were looking to organize a union and, and um, solidify, you know, they, they, there was a lot of stuff that was going on, but a lot of the employees were upset. And so they were starting to look at, you know, doing a union. And uh, what Don put in as a program was a constant focus in building and sustaining relationships. And she was doing that through roundtables. So a, a couple of the, um, the, the big, you know, big things, first of all, te- the technicians there, um, they're under tremendous pressure because it's a seven day a week, 365 day a year business. Um, and what used to be kind of a simple installation of cables, connectors turned into a really highly technical skill. And so most of the technicians uh, function in company furnished vehicles. They must be able to pass background, drug, driving tests. And the nature of this industry is that at the time that this company was, was doing was a highly transient labor force. They were independent. They were random. Um, and so they determined that the cost of hiring and equipping a technician exceeds $5,000. And so the average wage uh, of somebody was around 40 grand. But if it's $5,000, think about 100 responses uh, to a hiring department for a job, right? 50% of them are only are going to qualify as a potential candidate uh, because they've got to be able to, you know, have a clear driving record, pass a drug test, pass a background te- uh, test and handle 50 pound limit. Um, and also the training wage of like, was like eight bucks an hour, but it still was costing them $5,000. So if you think uh, they were going through 400, uh, essentially, uh, or 500 technicians uh, in the year 2010, and 80% of the technicians did not last one year. And that's the, the churn in the industry. So they were essentially training 400 new employees per year, and at a cost of $5,000, that equates to $2 million. Through implementing values-based leadership, attrition actually reduced from 80% to 28%. That results in a, in a hard savings to the organization of $1.3 million simply by having a focus on building relationships and building the value of their employees. And there's gonna be numbers like that everywhere. So really, really um, interesting, because I mean, what do you do with the 1.3 million? Well then, obviously you can invest in infrastructure, you can shore up uh, regional sites, you can you know, buy more trucks, you can do all kinds of stuff. Um, but you know, values just became a major focus. So identifying their core values, recognizing their core values and reinforcing their core values um, and they're not corporate values, they're life values, values that have already should, be, should have been in place. Um, but if you, if you become an organization that really pushes values, then you can see um, the output of it. it, it it's a pretty incredible um, savings to an organization if you can lower the, the churn of employee turnover. 
Um, so when we come back, we're going to discuss uh, several of like the things that we might hear uh, complaints from, from organizations and ha- which values we would actually select and go through just to give you an idea of, of some of the things that we do. So we'll do that right after the break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon discussing uh, the roundtables and growth through roundtables. So I gave you some of the statistics. Let's talk about what the values are. Because we're calling them values, but they're really universal truths, universal laws. And so, you know, we've got 40 that we can choose from. And and for organizations, we may custom, you know, build these or we can just lead them through all 40. I think once you start a roundtable, you keep going through a roundtable. So. Uh, so, so we would spend a, a, a week just on attitude and, and again, it's 30 minutes a week, but so attitude, hard work, honesty, listening, goals, saving, responsibility, patience, generosity, conflict, right? Imagine your organization be at all, all at the same time discussing responsibility and what that means or patience and what that means in, in having a, a positive, um, impact to that. Uh, we do understanding people and facts, dependability, boundaries, forgiveness, debt, common sense, ambition, confrontation, restraint, inspiration, motives, developing people, pressure, direction, ownership, co-signing, criticism, emotions, proper thinking, humility, influence, productivity, temper, ethics, judgment, correction, planning, sewing, and prosperity. These are, these are huge things. So what will happen is we can come into an organization and start talking to them. And let's say uh, I'm meeting with a, uh, an employee and they said, you know, the employee says, you know, I'm stressed out because I can't do my job with the resources and the time allotted to me, right? And that's, that's stuff I hear all the time, especially in the project management world. And so 
we could go through, you know, basically a six week round table to address something like that. You do pressure and planning and goals, productivity, attitude, facts, and emotions. Or, um, you know, somebody will say, my, my supervisor won't do anything uh, about another employee who's causing lots of trouble. Uh, so again, attitude, resolving conflict, responsibility, understanding people, emotions, forgiveness, and criticism. Um, you know, my, my supervisor uh, hides in his or her office. Okay, well, we can use humility and confrontation to address that. But, but we do it in such a way that, again, it's in I statements, it's in me statements. So we don't get a round table and, and look at the boss and go, look, you're hiding in your office. What we do is we bring awareness to the issue through the, the application and discussion of, of values. Um, you know, what if you have people that are like, um, you know, they're always having to be right, uh, then we can talk about humility and listening, restraint and understanding people. Uh, but I mean, we can do this in, in uh, situational examples, too. So, you know, sometimes let's say problematic behavior crops up in connection with troubles um, in uh, maybe an employee's having a rough time, right? So, for instance, several months uh, uh, after you've given a, an employee time off to recover from injuries in a car accident, they're still coming in late to work, leaving early and sometimes sneaking away at midday. Um, and so what we would look at is dependability, responsibility, productivity, honesty, hard work, and boundaries. I mean, it's a way, again, just to bring awareness and, and for people to start uh, thinking through a situation. What about you have a lot of negative employees who kind of badmouth the, the company and its leadership uh, to fellow employees, even customers, disrupt mor morale? Um, you know, we could talk about attitude, forgiveness, transparency, ethics, understanding people, and facts. These are all just ways that we can apply um, the, the values to, to help assist in, in growing a company to meet the culture that, um, that we hope, so, hope to do, right? And so what's interesting is um, this is also something that, that we can expand within an organization. So um, let's say you have a thousand people you want to put through roundtables. You know, if we're doing that in five to six people, you know, obviously that, that's like 250 roundtables or, you know, anywhere from 200 to 250 roundtables. So what we do in that situation is we actually get 200 people that we train as a facilitator and then let them facilitate the roundtable so that the entire organization can be going through it at the same time, having the same experience um, without relying on, on, you know, a single person like me. Um, so we actually can really build a program that can expand to an organization and, uh, and grow them from, from the inside out. So that's what we're doing with, with Transform Birmingham is um, we, are, we are identifying our leaders and influencers right now. Um, then we'll take them through uh, facilitation training and teach them how to be facilitators with the understanding that they're going to run a roundtable uh, for five to six people based on that. So. We're super excited about this. Um, one of the things, too, I don't think I mentioned, um, but GPS, the, the organization, the, the gentleman that owns that, runs that, started that, his name was uh, is uh, Jerry Anderson. And uh, if you guys, you know, I know I have a lot of Maxwellites out there, a lot of Maxwell fans. So if you've read the 15 uh, Invaluable Laws of Growth, then uh, the law of the latter is essentially – all about Jerry Anderson. Um, 
and it discusses how Jerry came, you know, across round tables and really started with uh, John Schrock. And, and uh, so he knew this guy, he looked up to him, he was a mentor to him and he always asked him, um, you know, how are you so, so successful? And John Schrock had, had written a, a little pamphlet that he carried around in his lapel that essentially was, was the book of Proverbs, but it was done in, in terms of uh, values and, and universal truths. And he said, anytime I have a question or an issue, I just consult this. And, and it tells me um, what I need to lean on. And um, what was nice is, you know, we got a copy of that pamphlet that, that John Schrock had, had written and, and done. And um, it, it's pretty incredible. And so Jerry had, had started this organization, started talking about values. He applied it to his own life and saw the success there, started taking it to other people. Um, that's when they went to uh, Guatemala. Uh, since then, we've been Guatemala, Nigeria, Paraguay, Costa Rica, um, Colombia, Mexico, uh, Kenya, India, um, and we're we're just we're we're basically going across the world now, and sitting down. And, and these translate very well because, again, you know, motives and inspiration, influence, productivity; those are universal laws. Those are just universal things uh, and values that we can discuss. Uh, and help people grow and grow through. So I was fascinated to to finally meet uh, to Jerry. It's it's kind of cool when you read about somebody, you read stories, especially when you know Maxwell's writing about them, um, and then you get to meet the people. They were they were absolutely incredible. Um, that that whole team. So it was Carol and Don Yoder, Jerry Anderson, uh, Bernie, and uh, they they're just salt of the earth people. Mike Pullen. Uh, was there as well, who who was the trainer who trained us for Costa Rica. So um, I got to watch firsthand in training 250 facilitators and then allowing those 250 facilitators to go train 18,000 other facilitators. And then those 18,000 people are all running uh, roundtables of five or six people. And you can see how exponential this growth can be uh, in just discussing universal laws, truths, and values. So um, it's it's an exciting time. Uh, for us, um, we're starting to roll this out here in Birmingham. Uh, and then I've got um, uh, satellite people that, that I'm getting to work with that, that's going to um, tackle uh, Kansas City, uh, Seattle, uh, Dallas, Albany, um, and, and more to come. So uh, super excited about how this is all going to roll out um, and, and what's going to happen. Uh, and, and we'll obviously continue to update you here on the show of, of what's what's going down. Um, if we're going to be successful in doing this, right, if, if, if somebody is is considering this, so if, if you heard me talk about this and you said, you know what, you know, this sounds like something I want in my organization. Uh, first, buy-in has to be from the top. Top leadership must be committed to not only attend a roundtable, um, but, but participate in one. They don't necessarily need to facilitate them. Uh, but we definitely want them to attend. And then we want to identify, you know, people, locations, how many physical facilities are needed, as well as, you know, what the training uh, procedures are. So we normally can train um, facilitators in about six hours. Uh, and we participate. We actually do three roundtables during that six hours and talk about what it, what it is um, to be a facilitator. And, and the cool thing I really like about it is um, – you know, so many people want to solve other people's issues, but that that's a no-no in a roundtable. Um, and so I don't, it, it's funny because I know a lot of coaches and 
you know, when somebody does open up in a round table, they, they want to go help. They want to coach. And that's not the time or place. This is a time or place of self-reflection, of trust, uh, creating that trust and bond with each other. And the biggest application I saw um, is was in the agile workspace. So a lot of you that listen to my show that that know that we talk about agile and project management, well, agile is absolutely 100% a culture shift. It's a culture shift to go agile. And I have tons of companies that have called me and said, hey, you know, we're a year in, we're a year and a half into um, our agile transformation, and uh, it's not working for us. And 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 I get questions either like that or how do you build a high-performing team? Well, how do you build a high-performing team? I can tell one way is that team needs to trust each other. The team needs to understand each other, and they need to know that they have each other's backs. And if they don't, then they're not going to be high-performing. They're not going to be the creative team that you want. So imagine that same Agile team, which, by the way, an Agile team uh, normally is between five to eight people. If I have five to eight people on a team that's going to be consistent, why why not take a half an hour a week to discuss a common value of the organization and then allow the team to bond and grow over that? I mean, I can tell you uh, at this training, I, I was sitting there. There was one person I knew, but there was you know five other strangers in the roundtable that I was going through as part of the training process, in which I got closer to those people. And we've, we've agreed um, as a table to continue to do the roundtable with each other for the next six weeks. Um, just to to keep it moving and keep our connection and, and and keep that and these these were complete strangers to me, you know the the day before, and now you know I know a lot about their families I know a lot about their desires I know about what what's holding them back and I mean that's coming back to the agile example that's what teams are missing in an agile transformation an agile transformation you transform the technology you transform the process but we left the people component the same. We just expect that because we put six people on a team that they'll grow into being a team. No, you have to nurture that. You have to facilitate the growth of a team so they can become high-performing. Otherwise, they're just going to keep doing what they've been doing all along. They just happen to be six people who work together. And if agile is a mindset and something that you're really going after, I, I promise you, your missing component of really, really exploding your agile transformation is to develop your teams through roundtables. There's no doubt. And, and I know companies have spent millions of dollars on their transformation, and 0% of that has gone to developing the team in, in, a, in a way that builds trust, character, values, honesty. In, in the the understanding of how each other thinks, it's, it's a must if you're going agile. It's an absolute must uh, if you're going agile to spend some time to develop your team. And there's no better way to develop your team in a more efficient way. I mean, you could you could send them all to a training class, but that's not going to stick. But a reinforcement and recognition um, around the roundtable. And, and spending 30 minutes of focused time growing the team, I guarantee you the results are, are exponential. They're absolutely exponential on, on how that would work. We're going to take our final break here, and uh, we'll come back and wrap up this show on Growth Through Roundtables. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. 
Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the work life balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the work-life balance. And we're back to the final segment of the work-life balance, discussing the the roundtables and growth through those. So, We've been through GPS, we've been through who Jerry Anderson is, we've been through what the principles are, how we roll them out, what some of those um, benefits are. And so, you know, with the the final time that I have here, I'm just going to, again, talk personal application. Uh, So again, being on a personal growth journey for the last several years, I've tried a ton of things. Um, You know, I've I've been to training seminars and and I've, uh, you know, read books and, and done all of this work and really the, the two most impactful things uh, in terms of, of really moving the needle uh, in my life has been disc profiles. So understanding how people communicate um, and, and how to uh, meet them where they are, how to make sure that I'm communicating in a way that, that they like to be communicated with and understood. The second most impactful thing in it's, it's not, I think it's of equal impact. It's been roundtables. Um, I've participated in probably about 45, 50 sessions now of roundtables. And I can tell you, um, without a doubt, the, um, the the action steps that I've taken, I, I know what they are. I know what they produced. And I know that they've given me the most value in moving the needle to, to becoming the person I continue to want to become. Um, and so... One of the other programs that we have, uh, and we've got several programs in this space, but it's around youth. Uh, and so I'm very excited because uh, in this upcoming week, I'm meeting with the school system here in Hoover to bring this this transformation to uh, the school system and start to teach this in our schools here, in, in at least in, in my subsidiary of Hoover, Alabama. And uh, But before I could do that, I needed to... Uh, prove that it was going to work and, and have somewhat of a case study. So um, I started with with my 12-year-old son. 
and uh, you know it's interesting how much closer we've gotten since we've started that and and um i we just did uh, a round table uh yesterday on choice and so you know making a good choice or, or making a bad choice right is all a decision and so we started thinking about and and again we just took us about 20 minutes and so we thought through, you know, what are some choices that we made in the last couple of weeks that didn't benefit us? And what what could we have changed in that choice that would benefit us? And so I'm a, a, not a stickler, but I'm, I'm pretty tight on chores. You know, I, I, I did a whole show. You can find it uh, on the uh, on the podcast list. I did a whole show called The First 15. And it, it's, a, it's a program I put together with my kids that sat down and I said, look, you know, th- th- this is my day, right? My day is you know, I get up in the morning, I take you guys to school, I work, uh, I pick you guys up from school, I work, uh, come downstairs, we have family time, um, I've got chores, you know, things that, that I need to do, um, and then we have our family time, but I asked my kids, I said, you know, what's one of my favorite things I, I like to do? And they said, well, you know, Daddy, you like to play video games? And I was like, yeah, but do you ever see me do it? And they started to think, and they go, no, not, not really. I said, right. I said, because the only time that I, I sit down and, and um, you know, take care of that is, is after everything else is done. So if, if I have time and I'm not too tired uh, and it's after family time and everybody's gone to bed, then I'll go play a video game. That's what I do. Well, um, I said, you know, and I sat down with both my kids and my daughter, you know, is older. And I said, so talk to me about your day. Right. So you guys get up, you go to school, you come home. You play video games, do a little homework, you play video games. We have family time, you play video games. I said, so I ask you to do chores and you never have time to get to your chores because you're, you're doing all these other things. So I give you my first 15 hours of a day, right? So so 15 hours, generally from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., I'm devoting to the family. So I've given you 15 hours before I can have any time to, to myself I said, so why, why don't you guys give me the first 15 minutes of your day? If you give me the first 15 minutes of your day to knock out your chores, and they shouldn't even take that long, then you can have the rest of the day to make whatever choice you want. So that, that's a principle that, that we have in our house and that, that we try to abide by. And so um, when I come downstairs and, and, and see my son playing video games and see a chore that's not done, I said, you know, if you don't give me the first 15 minutes of the day, then, then you don't get free choice for the rest of the day. You're mine for the rest of the day. And so I'll see that. I'll make him shut his video games off for the day and, and give him extra chores because he didn't do the first 15. Well, um, my my weakness, my weak spot for sure is when I come home from a trip. So, uh, for instance, you know, when I came home from from training, um, you know, I got up at like five in the morning there, uh, was at training, flew home, got home at midnight Um and know that I have to be up in like five hours to, to start my day. And when I walk into my home, seeing all the stuff that's undone and, and, and that that's a trigger point for me. It's like, you guys have been home all week, nothing to do, right? It's summer vacation and, and we can't take out the trash. We can't pick up stuff. Right. And, and so but I come home very negative. That that's a week. I know. And so now I'm sitting down with my son. We're talking about choice. And so he starts to say, well, daddy, I think I could choose to, um, to look for more things to do around the house that would help you. And I was like, oh, son, that's nice. That's, that's very sweet. So when, when do you think you'll make that choice? He goes, I'll start tomorrow. I said, okay. And I said, all right, son, for me, um, I feel like 
uh, as a father, you might do 10 things, but not do two, right? So you may have had 12 things on your list and you did 10 of them, but not the two. And I tend to harp on the two. And I, I will make the choice to recognize that you did the other 10 before I say anything about the two. And he goes, oh, dad, that'd be awesome. And, and again, 20 minutes, we were in and out, talked about choices. We both wrote our action steps down. And next week when we sit down to discuss it, the first thing it's going to be due is say, well, you know, you committed to this choice. Did you make it? And if so, what was the result? And then I do the same. Did 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 I recognize you for what you did and, and, and not harp on only the things that you didn't do? And then how do we feel about the result? And then you move on to the next thing. I'm telling you, in a school system where it's their peers and it's five or six of the same peers, we can make a tremendous difference in, in children's lives, kids' lives by having them just simply think that attitude is a choice. Listening is a choice. Making good choices is a choice. So that's that's uh, where we're headed next with all of this. And, and we'll continue to update you on Transform Birmingham Initiative, what's going on with GPS, all that stuff uh, along the show. So uh, let's talk next week. Next week, uh, we're going to be doing a replay. In fact, uh, I think we're going to end up replaying uh, Dr. Meisner's uh, episode uh, because that was absolutely phenomenal. So uh, next week is uh, Daddy Camp. Uh, again, uh, if you look at July of last year, you'll hear me do a show about Daddy Camp, what that means. Um, so it's just a week where uh, I, I send my wife and her girlfriends uh, to anywhere they want to go. And I take the kids on a staycation and, and we do a bunch of dumb stuff that mama doesn't want to do. So that's been a tradition uh, all the way back uh, to when I was a, a true, you know, nine to five Sunday to, to Friday consultant, only home on Saturdays. I'd come home and my wife would be like, let's, let's go somewhere. Let's go somewhere. And I was like, man, if I see another plane or hotel room, man, I'm, I'm going to throw up. So uh, I said, you know what, why don't, why don't you just use my points, honey? And you, you take, you take your girlfriends, go to the beach, have a good time. And I'll keep the two-year-old, right? My daughter was two when we started this. And that's turned into an annual trans, uh, tradition for the week of July 4th. So I will be off uh, next week, enjoying daddy camp with my family, and then follow up with you guys on July 12th with our next show. I've got a lot of good guests coming up, and uh, I've got some things that I've got to solidify. But once I do, uh, we're going to have an incredible lineup coming up on, on this show here um, in, in the coming weeks. Otherwise, I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. We hope that you work on your own work-life balance. And I want you to think through, uh, through roundtables um, in the sense of, you know, what could you do with your family and, and your loved ones uh, if you just spent 30 minutes and, and turned off all the devices and discussed something like attitude or listening and made commitments to each other to have action steps to, to uh, make that a more positive uh, experience. I guarantee you it's going to change your family dynamic and guarantee you it's going to change your life. So I encourage you to do that. You can always reach out to me at Rick at Rick A. Morris, rmorris at rsquareconsulting.com. Uh, Twitter's at Rick A. Morris. You can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Uh, I use all those platforms to communicate. So let me know uh, if you tried something like that and what that was like. Uh, and otherwise, we're going to uh, talk to you in two Fridays. Again, next week will be a replay. And we'll talk to you on Friday the 12th right here at voiceamerica.com. Please hang on for our next show. Uh, we know there's some exciting content coming up for that. And uh, we will talk to you guys next Friday. You've been listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. 